everybody. Welcome to the 61st episode of The Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, have you gone on any like long walks or bike rides lately in like mountainous areas? In, in mountainous areas? Uh, I have been getting yeah. outside a little more recently. Do I look like sunburn or something? No, I just think that because you haven't won anything since February, it's pretty easy to make the argument that you're over the hill at this point, so... <laughs> We should do an outro with all the takes of how many times you've burned me since not winning something since February. Wow. Yeah, this is uh, our third time recording this opening, and I've had to come up with more and more unique metaphors for saying that Michael sucks at flesh and blood because he hasn't won anything in five months. Wow. <laughs> Even though I've never won anything ever. So, you know, who am I to say? But. Subtly, if you want to know the honest truth of what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to needle him to motivate him to start taking flesh and blood more seriously again, um, because uh, he hasn't had the same hunger. You know, he's he doesn't he's not putting in the same tenacity like he used to before. He had something to prove and a chip on his shoulder, but now I got to make sure that you know I got to like that fire in him. You know, mm-hmm. do you feel like he's a fire has been lit? It's our logo. Oh yeah, I, I feel the the burn. Good, I'm happy. If you ever need me to insult you more, buddy, let me know, and I'll be happy to do so. I'm. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I think I. Uh, it's not the best form of motivation for me, believe it or not. Hmm. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so, what do you want to talk about today, for real, buddy? Uh, so there was a, a big battle hardened release weekend in Cincinnati last weekend, and we both played in it. Neither of us did amazing, though. I think we both learned some things and had some good takeaways. And then kind of want to just talk about what the meta is looking like, what some of the decks that did well, kind of go through the top eight and talk about the decks that people brought and did well with. And we also want to try something a little bit different this episode where we've kind of in the past, when we were talking about specific deck lists, we've tried reading the whole deck list through and I've gotten some feedback that might be a little difficult to follow just when you're uh, verbally reading an entire deck list. It can be hard to follow. So instead, we're going to say what whose deck it is and what they're playing. And then we'll kind of point out some key cards in their deck that might be either different from the norm that you, or different from what you'd expect or just kind of talk about the decks more generally and not go through every card yeah for sure so do you want to start with i don't know if you ever heard of this hero before but it won the tournament um icelander have you ever i think i think it's pronounced icelander um do you want to talk about this hero do you think you know very much about this hero or have any experience with them uh no i I don't know anything about icelander but we can talk (laughs) Okay, fair enough. We can speculate. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Rhea, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Rhea Adams took down the Battle Harden with uh, an Icelander deck. Um, it kind of looks about what you'd expect from an Icelander deck outside of the attack action suite is a little bit different there's three red finals fighting spirit which is probably the best attack in icelander it makes sense to max out on that one and then three red raging onslaughts which that's not a card that has seen i don't think 
At least I haven't seen it in Ice Linear deck before. How about you? No, not 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 my not my time. That's for sure. I, I guess it's not true. I've seen it in a commoner Icelander deck before, <laughs> but not a classic instructor. Fair enough. So, I think this card. I guess kind Aether of, Ice Vein is a common. That's a pretty good common. Aether Ice Vein is is a very good common. Um, so I guess Raging Onslaught. What it does is it it blocks for three, which is more than Wounded Bull blocks for, and. Uh, that's the advantage of playing over Wounded Bull. And then compared to Enlightened Strike, uh, it's a popper for the Dromayan. I guess Prism matchup, if Prism is attacking you with Heralds and shows up. But the Dromayan matchup is the one that matters a lot more. <laughs> so having a three-block popper, um, it's solid there. I think I'd still prefer, prefer Wounded Bull, but yeah. Uh, yeah I think Rhea said as much herself on her Discord. Um, but, you know, it's close. Raya preferring the the three block on Raging Onslaught instead. And then the... Plug for our Discord. <laughs> yeah. The the last... The, or the other card that I think is new and interesting and exciting that's worth talking about is three copies of Warmonger's Diplomacy. And this card is... Can be pretty powerful in the right, at the right moments, right? Um, yeah, it definitely has its spots. So, there are a non-zero amount of decks in the format that want to be both playing both attack and non-attack actions um, on their turns. Yeah, so I think this card's the standout generic Majestic from the, the previous set. It's a blue block three, and it costs zero and can have a huge impact on the game. So that's a great spot for your blue block three to be in. So slots in really well into Icelander, and it also slots into a lot of other heroes that just have mostly one type of action they want to take either attacks or uh non-attacks and i i kind of expect this will be like a staple of a decent amount of decks moving forward I yeah included. for sure um as long as you are kind of not if you're if you're especially looking to like control the game on some kind of axes it's a great card for doing that for limiting these types of strategies that are trying to do things aside from just attacking or playing non-attacks and Obviously, if your deck is a little bit more linear, like if you're something like Bravo or Usury, um, I guess not Usury because she wants to play reactions. But uh, well, it, you can still play reactions. It stops either attack actions or non-attack actions. It only prevents you from taking actions. And yeah, so I see. I, I played with this card. I don't even know what it does. Still, so that's how complicated and and weird this card is. I guess. But sure. Okay. Yeah. So even if you choose peace, you can Voltaire with Lexi as well. Though that's a very strange play situation, I guess. Interesting. Because Voltaire is an instant. Um, I guess the main one that matters is whether you choose war or peace, you can activate Waning Moon either way with Icelander. Okay. Good to know. Well, how are you activating Waning Moon if you haven't played a non-attack action? Okay, if you choose war, you can't activate (laughs) Waning Moon. Because you won't have played a non-attack action. That's fair. That's fair. Because you will not have forgotten everything about Iceland. But peace. If you choose peace, you can still activate your weapon. Though, if your weapon is an action, you cannot activate it if you choose peace. Got it. Okay. Um, And then I think the last notable thing about this deck, though, is like three red Winner's Bite. Um, I know we were playing red Winner's Bite way back in the day, but it's interesting that the card is still sticking around where I think in our builds past indianapolis we were kind of pretty happy to put that card to the side yeah honestly i haven't played a ton of icelander post indianapolis we both played her at that uh the pti event after the 
team sealed battle hardened in Baltimore, mm-hmm. but and neither of us played winners by in in those in that deck. But I think the card is just like it's fine. It's a nice, nice card. Yeah, it trades for a card. It's fine. <laughs> Has go again. Doesn't cost your action point, and it doesn't get codex back notably. So it's a Very real important. yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to say about this list overall? Um, any other notable inclusions or not inclusions? I guess the the hat slot, uh, when I was playing Icelander, I was playing Crown of Providence, Coronet Peak, and Dolvern Hood. But old time's gone, and that was the main matchup you wanted Crown of Providence for. And Wizards are not very common. I think we saw two Icelanders and one Kano in the tournament last weekend. So mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to trim on Arcane Barrier when the Wizards are not around. Though with Icelander winning a Battle Hardened, I kind of expect her to see a, a bit of a surge in popularity people love yeah. icelander yeah <laughs> some people i don't know who would like that hero so speaking of trimming uh arcane barrier do you want to talk about the second place list then this uh nathaniel's lexi deck yeah nathaniel snyder got second place with lexi livewire um he had zero arcane barrier in his whole his whole deck yeah, but there's only three wizards in the tournament, you know, Michael. What are the odds you're going to run into a wizard? 3%? That's not very likely. Yeah, so that's kind of a gamble you you can definitely take if you think that you think that the wizards won't do well, you think other people will bring arcane barrier and tech for wizards, then you can kind of tech for the other decks that you think will beat up the wizards for you. But it's it's a risk that clearly did not pay off here where Nathan or Nathaniel, sorry, went undefeated in the Swiss though he conceded the last round after I believe I heard that they played it out. And then after he won, he conceded to Pat Eschke to put him in the finals or into the top eight. Um, But anyway, regardless, he went undefeated in the Swiss, won his first two rounds of top eight. And then in the finals met Icelander with zero arcane barrier and kind of just got got punished maximum punished the finals of a tournament where first place the reward is significantly better than second place at uh, battle hardened yeah i mean nobody gets a gold cold foil for second so that's that's definitely true yeah but his lexi list i i would kind of describe it as pretty close to that's not true there's some there's some there's some spicy tech in here michael what do you, oh, i'm, I'm a, missing it i see one light- dirty Okay. A down and dirty is pretty spicy tag for the draw my matchup. Uh, we got one lightning surge, which is pretty clean. Um, if you're getting a card back with Codex of Frailty, it's nice that you can get a four powered attack with Go again if that's what you want, as opposed to. Um, Always getting Falcon Wing. Yeah, that only has three. Um, then we got some Sleep Darts. That's a card that's been in and out of lists for a while, but it kind of makes sense that, you know, if you're expecting some levias to be popping up now in the aftermath of dust till dawn sleep dart is a pretty impactful card against that hero or the demi heroes in either case yes sleep dart hitting levia with like five or six blood debt is extremely threatening that's just she she can't turn it off anymore so yeah and there's only one husk and then if you're kind of like looping these with a codex or something like that then it can be pretty difficult for her to kind of like play around this effect especially in the end game so i think it's a solid include for that matchup um and then last i think there's some 
premeditates, two red premeditates, and one lightning. Oh, I already talked about the lightning surge. Uh, I thought it was lightning press for a second. Um, two premeditates, which um, Lexi kind of playing a little bit more pumps in her list now that she doesn't always have the bullseye bracers to be as arrow dense as she was before. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about anything about that? So I oh, I'm, I'm not on it today. I th- I think that the premeditates are just a good inclusion. If you're not on Codex of Inertia or any of the other codexes, then you have space to have more than just the three Codex of Frailty as ponder creation effects. And premeditate is just a very good card and not surprising to see it slot into the Lexi deck here, especially a Lexi deck that's not playing any copies of Icequake. I think those cards kind of take competing slots and Nathaniel choosing to go with premeditate instead. Um, the other thing to note is there's 10 ice cards here with eight winners bites and two Arctic incarceration. I think that's a pretty, a pretty common package. The, the winners bites and the Arctic give you a lot of equity against these aggressive decks that are looking to play very red line. And you can really kind of punish them by giving them a frostbite on quite a few turns. And also, stripping extra cards from them on top of having your threatening on hit arrows. So there's three copies of hamstring shot floating around here as well. Do you think that's enough ice cards to potentially go with blizzard bolt instead, um, instead of just taxing the first effect, but actually just giving them a true frostbite um, and then potentially multiple uh, frostbites, depending on how many arrows hit on the turn. I, I think I prefer hamstring shot to blizzard bolt because the times that you're really the times that you really want to make sure that you're taxing them are when you don't have the ice card. So blizzard bolt, like can, it can kind of lead to situations where you're stacking frostbite. So then the times that you don't have an ice card, you're like, man, I wish this blizzard bolt tax them because I don't have any other ways to tax them. So I do, I do think I like hamstring shot better. I also think that, um, the ice vein, the, what's the arrow ice vein called chilling ice vein. Mm Mm-hmm. I also think that card's a little bit better than Blizzard Bolt because causing them to pay the resource on your turn is a lot more likely to take a full card than just causing giving them a frostbite and making their thing cost one more on their turn. Or they could like pitch a blue to play something that costs two without having to give up a whole extra card. Okay, fair enough. So ultimately, I think if there's one card added to this list, Nathan probably wins the tournament. And all he has to do is put one trench of the sunken whatever, right? That's what that card is. Trench of sunken treasure. Yeah. Uh, Because ultimately what that card does, first and foremost, as AB1, clean clean slot for an AB1 uh, in the list. And kind of what Isolator is looking to do, and we saw that happen with like the Warmongers recital, because against Lexi as well, if Lexi has a face down card in her arsenal, she can't choose peace. Uh, well, she, if she chooses peace, then she can use her hero ability to flip the card up um, in order to um, like have the second arsenal slot available. But then she's on peace and can't attack with any arrows. And if she chooses um, attacks and there's a non-attack face down, then you're, she's just stuck entirely. So that's kind of why that awkwardness lines up. But when you have Trench, you can kind of just... Uh, use that to put your face down card at the bottom of your deck, get a clean resource off of it, and then not really have to worry about what's going on 
um, with the warmongers recital anymore. And you're just kind of pretty free to just choose war way more often. So I think if there's just like one card that need to be slotted in to like save uh, the matchup, and you kind of talked about this too um, in our tier list videos where, you know, if Lexi's just slight slot one or two cards in, whether it's that or um, Heart of Ice, then like the wizards have a way har harder matchup into Lexi and it kind of just fixes it overall. And I think that's just going to be the case going forward where it's going to be, well, I just need one slot and it goes from making the ice laner matchup really bad to just like heavily favored. That seems like worth one slot. Yeah, I, th I think so too. It isn't surprising to see uh, kind of trimming on wizard hate for this first week tur tournament where I really didn't think wizards were in a good spot. I think a lot of the community shared that sentiment where wizards didn't seem like it was their, their time to shine, but whenever that happens and everyone's like, I'm going to play zero AB play, maybe one AB, then that's when they show up and when they can take down tournaments and Icelander's still pretty good against the rune blade. So if the non rune blade heroes are not playing AB, then that gives you a lot of equity. I feel like somebody really smart and wise put, wizards not in c tier because if they're not respected and people trim on ab they can just randomly snipe a tournament i feel like somebody said that a week ago who <laughs> who could have done that yeah I, I guess like i i think c tier heroes are definitely capable of winning tournaments especially if your opponents don't have any cards that are good against you or any practice in the matchup i shouldn't say any practice in the matchup but like I think if you if you aren't going to tech for it and you have a lot of inexperience in the matchup, C tier heroes are very capable of winning events. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go as far as to say Nathan's inexperienced. You know, I'm gonna I'm not going to talk to his experience level overall as a player. You know, he could be a wonderfully experienced player in Icelander, but you know, when you don't have AB, you're kind of putting yourself in a hole. Uh, and that's kind of what I was just talking about, where people don't respect them. It's like that. It's like a paradox, where like if you don't respect them, then they're good. But as soon as you start respecting them, then they're bad. And also, like I alluded to earlier, though, like if you just need one slot in your deck to just kind of not have to worry about it, just like find the slot. Like it's one slot. Like especially when you start going to like callings or bigger events like pro tours, because you know like there's going to be like the five or six Kano players who are just the Kano masters um out there floating around like you might as well respect it. it it also is kind of difficult to be experienced against warmonger warmonger's diplomacy at this point the card's been out for was had been out for like one day when the tournament started so it had been spoiled for a week but sure but do you think that 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 one card radically fundamentally changes the play pattern and archetype that is icelander to just completely throw out and invalidate all of his experience Uh, I, I wouldn't say that. And we might get into it in a university video at some point, but there, there was a turn where choosing war off warmonger's diplomacy really did, uh, hurt him when he could have just, when he, he could have chosen peace and flipped up a card in his arsenal face up. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Okay. Do you want to talk about, um, or do you have anything else to say about Lexi before we move on? I guess. She's still good. She's still very, 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 very good. True. Okay. Do you want to talk about the unplayable hero by uh, this incredibly uh, mediocre player named Mara Ferris? Okay. I uh, I don't agree with those things that you just said. Mara Ferris has been consistently doing very well with Dromai and 
Yeah, so someone put Dromai in S tier because Dromai is still very good. Not as good as Lexi, but still quite good. I put her in A tier. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I've gave her a little so, respect. So uh Mario top forward the ProQuest with Dromai. It's very, very similar to the deck that she took to PT3 with a couple key exceptions. One, she's trimmed a few blues down just down to just the three copies of Passing Mirage that she boards in against some decks. So the Icelander versus Dromai matchup has traditionally been very, very Dromai favored. But with three blues, Icelander is looking like she has a chance finally. <laughs> um, the other thing is there's two copies of the new or two copies of the new defense reaction flicker trick that lines up very well against Lexi's one for five arrows when Lexi's like a lot of the time Lexi wants to sequence her arrows one for five with go again into zero for four that she chooses plus one on the Voltaire. So flicker trick can cleanly cover up either of those. And you are scared of lightning press or rain racers blowing you out, but there's a lot of times that you can line it up that that won't happen. And when you don't just a one card clean block on a card that costs Lexi two resources to load and fire and a whole card, you're, you're trading up significantly on that exchange. Additionally, there are um, a lot of the time it would cost you two cards to block that out or a card plus an equipment. So being able to block it out with one card is very good. And there are other ways you can play around the the pump spells from Lexi. Um, some of her three of a kind turns, you uh, you know she can't play a pump spell in combat. So your flicker tricks are safe at that point. And then if you use it on the second arrow Lexi fires in a turn, She's almost never going to have the rain razors because if she's firing two or three arrows and she wanted to rain razors, you should probably place it when she attacks with the first arrow. So it's, it leads to some pretty interesting mind games. And when this card was spoiled, it was definitely in a spot where it's like, this card is good if people are playing five power attacks with meaningful on hits. And that's what Lexi's all about. So this card does line up very well into Lexi. Yeah. And then do you want to, oh, yeah, I think you're about to get to it. The card that I said was the actual best new illusionist card they printed in this set, basically Thoughtseize. And we saw it do as much in the quarterfinals against Pat, uh, Lost in Thought, where uh, Mara played it at an interesting timing interval and it made it so Pat just didn't have a functional turn where he just spewed a card in Arsenal, two cards in hand, took a bunch of blood debt and passed back because he just had no meaningful game actions to take uh that seems like a pretty good card you know I... yeah so this is a card that's like really really below rate spending a resource and a card to take one of their cards and give them a ponder token that's like a horrible deal you're giving them a card oh back God, taking Michael. card, but because of both the context of dromai where you really get a lot of value knowing what their hand is being able to strip a popper is very powerful and then also how some hands scale like exponentially based on a certain piece. Like it's not like every card always converts to three damage. Not everyone is playing Bravo with his Anathos that he's just going to turn every card into three damage by pitching two cards to play the Anathos or pitching three cards to attack with a, a eight or nine or 10 power attack. Um, a lot of decks need specific pieces to do their thing. And this is a card that, it looked really good on coverage. If you go back and watch those games, Lawson thought like kind of destroyed Pat, uh, kind of destroyed some of his hands where he blocked with a, he blocked with a yellow one turn and then Lawson thought took his blue and then his hand was just two reds. And I don't think he was planning on getting that blue out of his hand. I think he was planning to keep it, but Lawson thought 
just stripped the blue. And then he had two reds in hand. And But he got a ponder token, Michael. Car- he got a, a ponder token. That he wasn't able to use. So the, the loss in thought was very good there. And I think that's something that like will... I think it might even warp deck building to the point where you might want to shift some of your blues to be non-attack actions so they're not vulnerable to be taken with loss and thought. When you're making blocking decisions, you have two blues and a red or two blues and two reds. You might not want to block with that first blue because if your other one gets lost and thought, then your turn falls apart. And this is gonna be like this this card is going to warp how people play the game. And I definitely underrated it when we were talking about the set. Yeah, it's like looking at the original printing of Thoughts. He's going to be like, this card's so below rate. You have to pay two life and a card to take one card from your opponent. You're the one who paid the card and the two life to fall. That's 10% of your starting loaf total in Magic the Gathering. Why would you ever play this card? Like, it, And it can't take any card. It can only take uh, non-land cards. It can't even take the most important thing in the game, Michael. It can't take the lands to strip them from cards. Why would you ever play that? Because the context around the card and making the decisions for your opponent to strip them of their agency in a game is incredibly powerful. And anybody who didn't see that on face value of this card when it was printed was, I guess, had never played with Thoughtseize in their life. But that's just me. I like hot takes and I like being right. So here we are. <laughs> Cards, cards, pretty good. Cards, pretty good. Not, it's not good in every matchup. Not good in every spot. There's times where the card is going. Yeah, to it's be probably hard. pretty bad against Icelander and Kano. Like, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, other than that, I think the deck is all things we've seen from Mara's Pro Tour deck. Um, and if we want to talk about, if we're like angling this line a little bit, if we want to move on to Bravo next. Um, if you don't have anything else to say, because I, a uh, little soapbox first, I got a draw against Dromai in my first round. I hate drawing. Drawing in the opening round of a tournament feels atrocious uh, in a very long grindy matchup. And if you have personal family emergencies, please step away from the table and handle them instead of being distracted in your game. But off my soapbox now. Um, this card was cast against me. Lost in Thought was cast against me as a Bravo player multiple times, and it wound up taking um, enough, like just an extra popper after uh, presenting like other dragons or things like that on the turn cycle, and wound up pushing through a lot of damage. Um, and I wasn't able to meaningfully use the Potter token. So I think um, even you said like it's not like I think you said in your example of. It's not good against Bravo. Bravo. Uh, (laughs) Even against Bravo, like just taking that extra popper out of their hand on a turn where you're looking to play Mirror Guys and Chromize and really starting to like push through your board that you built up. Like the card does a phenomenal job of actually like stripping your opponent of those resources and the critical poppers because not every hand is just always going to have four poppers. There's going to be some hands where you only have like one or two poppers, even a deck like Bravo, and being able to take away you know, one of those and then power through the rest of your turn to push up on your damage is, is very powerful. Yeah, maybe a better comparison is not everyone's old time. Old time could really get three points of value out of most of his cards. Sure, but like it, I think the exact same sentiment applies there where old time, not every old time had had four poppers. There's going to be the same circumstances where even against old time, I think this card would have been pretty good. All right. Um, I guess the last thing about this deck too is Ash Rings are very good. So. <laughs> Uh, I think like we kind of talked about it before with 
new prism like some decks just really struggle to deal with ashwings and before you could have your little auras that killed the ashwings and now the prism has no way to kill ashwings a lot of decks really struggle into ashwings and i think that's why the ninja that's actually the real main reason why the ninjas and the rune blades are quite good against uh dromai is they have weapons that are presenting one or two damage or in, in the case of Fi, they have phoenix flame that conveniently kills the ashwings without wasting a bunch of damage and other decks really struggle to do that yeah, I think if you're playing New Prism and you're playing against Dromai and they cast um, Rake the Embers, the best game action to take is to pick up your cards and walk away from the table and just concede because you just have no good, clean way to deal with those dragons. Like You either have to swing a whole Herald at them or use a whole card on them and like there's just no there's no good answers and the issue with those little ashlings is each one of them is one point of damage but you're and they they still pop your ward four they still they still pop whatever they want they can still use the last one to be swung at a spectra aura they're uh completely detrimental to everything you are trying to do on board and the reason why that matchup used to be okay for prism it was close like um, I don't think one side was decidedly favored, but I, I I like the matchup as old Prism because you just got to play cards like um, the card that made three red spectral shield or the card that red that made three spectral shields. I forget the name of it, but then you, the you got to procession. Yeah, um, you got to use your spectral shields kind of as the checks on the Ashlings, and then they had their card that made the three resources, to, and then like you kind of got to contest the board with these kind of little one power attack um game state actions but you don't have those anymore there's no more luminaris and even if you're playing an iris build you need one whole blue to swing one aura for four damage at an ashling and that's just not that's not getting it done either so i think the drum iv prism is just so laughably one-sided in drum i's favor that it's just it's it, it might be one of the worst matchups ever in Flesh and Blood. I don't know. One of the one of the many things holding back New Prism. Many from glory. Many, many, <laughs> many things. <laughs> okay. Bravo. Bravo time. Right. So our teammate Ben Hannon, he's on the Wolf Pack. Look at that Ooh. guy go. Who knew? Good he's job. He's got ben. a Flesh and Blood. Uh, so Ben and I played <laughs> fairly different lists. Um, funny story, he played against Rhea in, I think it was the Swiss of the tournament, and Ben mentioned that he was on the Wolf Pack, and Rhea assumed that since uh, he was on the Wolf Pack, he'd be on a similar list to I was, where I'm only playing AB1, and then so she took out all of her attack actions so he couldn't get value out of his uh, Goliath gauntlets, only for Ben to flip up AB3. Crater Fist. Or Crater Fist, sorry. Uh, block fire out of the Crater Fist, only for Ben to flip up AB3 and completely punisher for that decision so just a small little amusing fact i guess yeah that, that was a funny story i guess so i think the biggest change for bravo from what we've seen in the past is three copies of starstruck this card is very good it is uh seven for ten which not not amazing on rate but the crush effect where your opponent cannot play cards with power less than the damage dealt if it crushes less than or equal to the damage dealt if it crushes. That's that's very impactful. And the fact that it costs seven lines up really well with Bravo's hero power. You pitch three blues to dominate and play Starstruck. And a lot of the time, your opponent just won't have a turn after this against the aggro decks. 
Yeah, um, it's exactly what he needed. Just kind of a flexible card to um, blocks well. That gives him the um, seismic surge token that helps him get to some of the break points. Either pitch a blue for one of his fours, pitch two blues for one of his sevens. Um, obviously, like you just said, has the really impactful on hit. And a yellow resource card isn't the worst thing in the world for Bravo. Um, there's a lot of hands that kind of can use those two resources like very functionally well. Um, especially when you're playing cards like Rouse the Ancients and Pummel in your list. Um, there's just a lot of clean interactions that happen with it. So I was very happy with it. Um, I think it's just exactly what he needed to kind of push him up to that next level, kind of like what I was saying. And I think it'll stick around for as long as Bravo's around. Yeah, I, I think if Bravo ends up being better than B tier, which is where I rated him, it's because how much this card changes his deck. Because without this card, it wasn't very good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it does change a lot. That and the one two punch of getting Warmonger's diplomacy himself, like that card, I don't see it in Ben's list, which is interesting because he's the person who talked me into playing Warmonger's diplomacy. Ben was psyopsing me the whole time. Anyways, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that being a one card disruption uh, that he gets access to as well at generic is, is pretty is pretty good for him, especially since it's just a blue three block at explore. Yeah, blue three blocks with very high upside are very good. You so, know, it's not a blue three block that's in the deck though. Pump, what what is this do? Get this clean your list up, Ben. You would have won the tournament with a cleaner list. This blue pommel, blue pommel, man. Come on, come on. So I think the thinking here is a lot of the time when you're playing Bravo, you will have a turn where you strip your opponent's hand and they do essentially nothing whether it's because you dominated a Starstruck, you dominated a, oh gosh, what's the big one called? Crippling Crush. You dominated a Spinal Crush. And then you draw your hand back up and you draw a bunch of blues. When you're drawing a bunch of blues, you'd really prefer one of them as Pummel a lot of the time. And it doesn't swing the Anathos or the Titan's Fist particularly well, but when you're playing attacks, it's good. And, or it's just as good as any other blue. And the upside of when you draw an all blue hand or a very heavily blue hand and you have access to this blue pummel is very high. That's fair. And then I guess the other notable thing is that there is a copy of Final Spring Tunic alongside the Steel Braid Buckler and the Titan's Fist. Um, no Rampart in Ben's list, but I think maybe this other secret was that tectonic plating was also keeping Bravo down this whole time as well where uh, i said this as much in my deck tech but it's also my kind of my thought process around building bravo the way i did now was the best one of the best plays that bravo had or not bravo one of the best plays that old i'm had was just the pitch of blue command and conquer one resource floating with tunic up for your pummel like that interaction is just so clean and just can just swing so much agency and tempo away from your opponent by itself that like I just, I just don't, I couldn't imagine playing a guardian style disruptive like attack deck without having access to like that setup. Um, it's just so, so, so important to like swing tempo in certain situations or really disrupt your opponent on meaningful turn cycles, especially against Lexi. And tectonic plating kind of sucks. I think tectonic plating kind of sucks, which it's sad to say because I was a 
tectonic plating defender for a long, long time, but I think it deserves its $30 price tag at this point. Yeah. And I think with the tunic, the tunic CNC pummel interaction, the math just on that turn is so good for you. You're spending three cards, a blue pitch card, the CNC and the pummel, and you're dealing 10 damage or presenting 10 damage. And you're also stripping multiple cards from your opponent, assuming one for the CNC and one for the pummel, you're getting two cards back. So essentially you're net spending one card for 10 points of damage, which is just a huge value swing. Your opponent can't ignore it. They're going to lose their arsenal. They're going to lose a card from their hand and they're taking 10 damage. So it's just insane just on the, the value side of things. And also your opponent has to respect or they no respect's not the right word. It, it's going to alter what they can do. Yeah. And the other awkward thing about tectonic plating is you're, since you're paying that resource up front, uh, you don't know that you'll need that seismic surge token on the next turn cycle. Um, there's going to be lots of instances where you're activating tech plating and you're just spewing that resource where either your opponent's presenting something really disruptive and then you're one on the back foot that uh, needs to block or your hand was perfectly functional on that turn cycle anyways and you didn't even need the extra resource. But Tunic kind of allows you that modularity where if you want that extra resource, you know you're going to have access to it. Um, so you can still do things like use Tunic resource, pitch two blues, come in with a Crippling Crush or Starstruck. Um, I think the one card that it doesn't play as cleanly with um, is Spinal Crush, but there weren't very many hands that Spinal Crush was playable. Like all the hands that tech plating made spinal crush playable with the extra seismic surge it's gonna be the exact same thing with the tuning resource because it's still just the five cost with the extra one resource because it still puts it at that awkward four break point yeah though though it does give you both it and the seismic surge give you the ability to dominate it and play it if your opponent doesn't have very much armor that can be quite good yeah but the tunic can still also once again be used to dominate the attack as well so i mean uh but you can't use tech plating. You can't use a seismic token to reduce the cost of your CNC or pummel. So the last thing, the last advantage of tunic over tectonic plating is tunic works well with the generic cards, um, cards like zealous belting and command and conquer can be really awkward if you draw a hand with multiple reds in these cards. But with tunic, you can just use tunic to lower the cost of it. So if you need to pitch a red and use tunic counter to play a zealous belting or a command and conquer, you can do that. Whereas tectonic plating only works on guardian attacks. The seismic surges that you create don't reduce generic attacks. And Bravo does play a decent amount of generic attacks with six red ones. That, eight, I guess, counting in Lightning Strike, but Tunic doesn't help with that either. It just takes one extra card. But yeah. Yeah. get Cut cut your tech plating. Let go of the past. Move on to the future in the new Find All's Spring Tunic ways. It's a good card. Good piece of equipment. Who knew? Any final Bravo thoughts there, buddy? Uh, nope, that's it. You want to talk about some Levia? We talked about my deck. You want to talk about your Levia experiences and compare your Levia deck to this Pat Eggsy Levia deck? Yeah, so Pat Eschke took Levia to a top eight finish at the Battle Hardened. Um, his Levia deck was very, very different from mine, where he's playing uh, Claws, Bloodrush Bellow, and not playing very much of the recursion package. No copies of Ghostly Visit, just one Howl from Beyond and one uh, deep rooted evil as cards that he can play for banish and then of course when you flip into blasma fat levia consumed you can play all your blood deck cards from banish but uh, until then just 
just the how from beyond and the deeper to evil and i i think this approach is definitely a different direction than where i went it potentially is better definitely into the faster matchups where you're just looking to race with blood rush bellow and turn into levia consumed pretty quickly or yeah plasma fat levia consumed um there's a lot of other things that are reasonably different from my list three copies of beast within of course combo well with the blood rush bellow and that card's also just like actually lines up really well under the lexies of the metagame when they codex you and you discard beast within you're just like not losing as much value as you would be if you were discarding any other card. Same thing for the winner's bites that we see a lot of copies of in these Lexi decks. So they winner's bite you and you discard a blood or a beast within, you might take one or two damage, but you're not losing a full card. You're getting your card back. Sometimes you'll take even more than that, but your average damage taken from discarding a beast within is somewhere around like 1.8 or something. So uh, trading 1.8 for a card, pretty good deal. Okay. Sorry, once again, I don't have a lot to say about Levia. Um, so I'm looking to you to carry the Levia discussion again. Because right. I don't even know like what's interesting about this deck. I guess there's the Guardian of the Shadow Realm. That's a card that you were playing around with a little bit. Do you have any thoughts about that card? Because I've always liked that card. That card always seems sweet to me. Yeah, I, I ended up on one copy of the card. I don't think it's particularly good. I would not be surprised to if it doesn't keep having a place in Levialis. It's really mostly there for Azalea. And Azalea did not put up results this weekend. And I don't think there's really a way to make your Azalea decks resilient to Warmonger's Diplomacy, which is a card I expect to see a lot in the future. <laughs> um, other things, there's 20, 24 blues in this list, I think. 24 or 23. I played 23. I played three Warmonger's Diplomacy. This list is not playing any. I don't know if that is something they would change going back um yeah and then i guess the other big things is playing these this the rest of this discard package there's three savage feast three pulping other cards that just discard random cards that you see a lot in reinhardt decks but i ultimately decided there wasn't room in my levia deck because you needed to be turning off blood debt so often because you were trying to recur ghostly visits and stuff and yeah, and with, with my version of the deck. So I think this is an interesting build. I would like to try to get some games with it. I definitely don't love playing zero copies of Ghostly Visit, zero copies of Void Wraith. I think those cards are quite good. And also, when you're adding those cards, you need the, the non-attack action that banishes three random cards and gives plus two, plus three, or plus four to your next attack. Though, um, I guess not playing that makes you a lot more resilient to Warmonger's Diplomacy and to your own Warmonger's Diplomacies because... If you're playing it and then you draw a hand with multiple of those pump spells, it can be pretty awkward. But yeah, um, Levy is good. I don't think either me or them had the optimal build figured out yet. I think their build looks probably a lot cleaner than mine, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think Levy is good. That's fair. Maybe Blood Rush Bellow is a good brute card to include in your deck. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's one that should should make the cut. Maybe there might be something there. You have to play Claws to make it worthwhile, but the Claws aren't too bad without it, especially if you're playing other discard effects like Savage Feast and Pulping. Yeah. I guess last thing about Levia, I ended up 3-2 and two in the tournament. I think my round... I lost a round to Sam Nando's Usury list, which we'll get to in a little bit. He, I think he just played better than me, more than like the deck was 
weak or anything. I just don't think I have a lot of practice against Uzuri, and he played the the match very well. And I think I can go back and point to a couple of mistakes I made in our game. Let's talk about Uzuri then, because I also so I drew against Dromai. I finished the tournament at three one one because a draws a loss basically. I lost to an Uzuri because I am also not super familiar with the Uzuri matchup. I took a more aggressively slanted game plan towards the Uzuri. And then basically at the end of the game, I'm at five life. They attack me with leave no witnesses. I kind of shrug my shoulders and say, if they have the contract pump card, you know, two thirds of their deck through their first, like their first cycle, I haven't seen one, then I die is what it is. Uh, and then they had it and I didn't have a defense reaction. So I lost the game, but so maybe I should just play it more defensively overall, just kind of run them over threats. But Uzuri is just like, a deck that's a lot like Dorinthia, where it, when your opponents don't have the experience and they kind of don't know what to be playing around and win, and they're not familiar with the uh, play patterns, uh, Dorinthia punch, punishes you with a bunch of damage, and Uzuri punishes you with a bunch of cards that make your deck not work anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about some Uzuri cards? Yeah. So uh, Sam made it to the top eight with Uzuri. Um, Let's see. I, I don't actually know exactly what to point at. This is more of a very red heavy version of Uzuri with uh, only eight blues total and 11 yellows, actually, which is more yellows than seeing more yellows than blues in a deck is definitely a, a different from what we're used to. But Codex of Frailty is very good. And when you're not looking to pitch for anything that costs more than two, then it kind of makes sense to just play yellows instead, I guess. Um, shred and isolate are both better at yellow than blue if you're not pitching them for resources and then codex of frailty and spreading plague the other two yellows only exist at yellow they're just powerful majestics that you can't play at other colors yeah i think the biggest card that stands out to me where it's just that kind of like makes me shudder a little bit is red shred uh just because it's very hard to get like the full minus four value off of that card and shred as an attack reaction um it's just a card that's very easy to kind of get like clunked or gumped up on or, because if your opponent's not blocking then you just can't play it and then it can kind of just kind of get stuck and not really do anything at all so it's interesting that red shred is still floating around in this list i guess when you know your opponent's playing a lot of defense reactions and looking to play a more defensive game plan um it obviously shines a bit more but I, it still kind of has to line up in those situations i guess yeah, and, and we even see that Sam's playing three copies of the yellow and only two copies of the red. He's definitely prioritizing the yellow over the red, but you can only play three yellow shreds. And it wouldn't surprise me if he could play more than three yellow shreds if one or two or one or both of these red shreds became yellow shreds as well. Yeah, for sure. And then we see, once again, some down and dirties looking to surprise some dromies with some surprise poppers. I guess, you know, you can't lost in thought the arsenal, so... <laughs> That just a good true. popper to hold on to, I guess. Yeah, and outside of Codex of Frailty, Uzuri can play pretty well with their arsenal clogged. I, It's not amazing, but it's definitely something you can do. So having that instant arsenal for a couple of turns is not bad. And I think the Dromai matchup is one of Uzuri's hardest matchups. So if this down and dirty, like even if it's just for that matchup, which it wouldn't surprise me if it is only for that matchup, it's potentially the most impactful card they can play. So. Yeah, 
And then there's some amnesias floating around for some extra poppers and some respect in the ninja matchups. Um, I guess it's also good against uh, Prism, though, too. You know, you can't have cards with Herald in its name if you don't got... Or if you have no name. If you got no <laughs> name, so... Yeah, and it's also a popper against Prism as well. So if Prism does show up, Amnesia is definitely a card that is a solid, solid tech card for her. Though Prism did not show up this weekend, and as far as I can tell, probably won't show up for this format until we get something new to help her out and then there's two copies of spreading plague <laughs> that's how much that's what i have to say about prism nothing <laughs> uh two copies of spreading plague is interesting kind of similar to the shred the red shreds i imagine you're bringing those in against the decks that are looking to block a lot um i don't know what those decks are i mean i guess you can kind of make an argument that bravo is still looking to block more often than not but he's I think he's still okay taking a more aggressively slanted game plan. Maybe not. Like I said, I kind of need more experience in the matchup. Uh, but if people are looking to block you out a lot, spreading plague is definitely a good way to punish them. Yeah, I, I know I got punished pretty bad by a spreading plague. It was like the first turn of the game, and I blocked something with two cards that I didn't necessarily need to block out. And I just ate two blood rot tokens for it. So, oops. Womp womp. Only two copies of surgical extraction. Never thought I'd see the day. Yeah. You, if you don't want too many blues, then you, you don't. It's not. It's definitely weaker than the red threats. It is a blue. That's why it's that's its upside. But being weaker than I don't know, it just has such a good on hit. Yeah, it All does. Right. But <laughs> and then rounding out the list is two copies of Warmonger's Diplomacy. Surprise, surprise. Yep, the card's good. Block blue, block three, can be very potent to play in the right spots. So, yeah, I I think. This deck is definitely leaning very aggressive. It has like Ravenous Rabble, it has uh, Nimbleisms, and then it has three copies of Razor Edge to go with a lot of red, um, red stealth cards. So, yeah, just a very aggressive take on Uzuri. Not not really looking for that contract fatigue. It's playing three Leave No Witnesses and two Surgical Extractions. It's the only con- contract cards, and Leave No Witnesses is a very very good card. Zero, zero for four is a strong break point, and threatening that arsenal just requiring either a defense reaction or a three block plus some armor or two cards just very powerful briar time last but not least we got briar so there were two copies of briar in the top eight um both yanji i pulled yanji, up yanji's list though okay so yanji lee took him to a top or took her to a top four we actually covered yanji's top four match against Rhea on manor university for this week so if you're interested in that matchup, look forward to that. Um, there's some, some definitely some new stuff going on in this Briar deck. We have first the new. Yeah, chess that's why piece. I pulled up Yanji's list. I knew it was uh, spicy. <laughs> we got the new chess piece, Dyadic Carapace, which is just getting three block on your chess piece, very good. And then it just includes Arcane Barrier too. If you are against Icelander or Kano, just getting easy access to that extra Arcane Barrier. And then you have that extra block in the Lexi matchup. And I'm sure there's several other matches you want it, probably against Bravo and Azalea as well. And I'm sure there's other spots too. Um, yeah. There's also three copies of the new Mischievous Meeps. This is a one cost for two power go again. If it hits, you steal an item. And if you cannot, then you draw a card. Um, the Kyloria text. This is not a card I expected to see any play. Yeah. Really? Yeah, just one for two go again with 
it does have an on hit, but man, that's that's not a good rate. A very threatening on hit. A very, very, very threatening on hit. And it's one of the best cards you can play after a channel mount heroic, right? It is it is solid with a channel mount heroic in play. That is when it's good. Sure. Um, but I guess if you look at all all of the, like flesh and blood cards printed and especially at generic, I think there are only I think it's give and take. Um, mischievous meeps and ravenous rabble. Oh, and brandish that have unconditional go again. Mm-hmm. Um, on on its text box, everything else has some kind of condition for it or some requirement you need to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that perspective, mischievous meeps, you know, kind I, of I guess enlightened strike kind of falls in that uh, category. Meets that bar. Sure. I mean, that's not unconditional. That has a condition of putting the card from your hand and choosing that mode. But I guess like, if you're playing the card, then yeah, it is something you can choose. Um, go ahead. You can never, you will never be playing an Alliance Strike and not be able to give it go again. I guess, unless your opponent's, I guess that's if there's a your opponent's spinal crushing you or something. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> pretty close to unconditional go again. But when you compare mischievous meeps to something like give and take, especially, I think mischievous meeps is just better than give and take uh, because I had a briar opponent attack me with a give and take over the weekend, and I just was like, "Okay, take three. <laughs> and yeah. what are we doing here? And if my opponent, I'll tell you, if my opponent attacked me with a mischievous meeps, I'm not going to be like, "Okay, yeah, whatever, take two. I'm going to be like, "Oh shit, I have to fucking block this mischievous the meeps." They're so mischievous. I gotta block. I can't let these meeps run amok all over the battlefield. I gotta I gotta keep these meeps in check. And you know, and that's a very powerful effect for a card to have. Yeah, fair. That's how um, being very cute. We, we look at the cuteness factor, you know, the meep way beating down. Like give and take is just like it's like not even a competition. Yeah, I I don't think give and take's a particularly good card either. It's also not on the list of cards I would put in my deck. Um well there you go. So other things we have the, you mentioned this in the university video also that we have the nimble strike back in the deck. So one for sometimes one for five go again. That's, that's a card I can get behind one for five go again. is a great rate. Yeah. This has always been like, it's like obviously enchanting melody pet card. Number one that I'm waiting to break out and prove, and it's going to be a good card one day, but right under that has always been nimble strike. I think, I think nimble strike is a very interesting card. Uh, you know, as, as long as you're playing the nimbleisms, you know, and your deck wants the nimbleism effect and can use, utilize it pretty happily. Nimble strike just seems like a pretty good card to include. Yeah, what, one of my favorite Reinhard draft decks was the Nimble Strike in a Romping Club deck where I was playing Nimbleism's Nimble Strike in Romping Club, but just getting to pitch a blue to play Nimble Strike into Romping Club was a two-card five or two-card nine, which is quite good. And Briar has a weapon that also swings for four. It only costs one resource instead of two, so it's probably a little better than Romping Club, but it's it's good. It's strong. Strong combination. <laughs> for sure. I think the wildest card, the card that I was like, what? is happening here when i saw it is flex oh flex that, is that's a, is a, okay go on sorry that's not that's not gonna be your what is happening card i'm excited to hear what your what is happening card but like flex is 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 wild right you just like it's just a zero for four 
that doesn't have go again you could pay the extra resources to pump it to six mm-hmm. technically a popper i guess at that point too if you want to really pay the resources for it but like i never thought i'd see flex in a constructed deck yeah i, I think i think it's pretty nice that like zero for fours are ideally they'd have something special going on about them but zero for four is what makes up briar's bread and butter a lot of her turns are play two non-attacks play a zero for four then pitch a blue to grass plus rosetta thorn and that if each of your non-attacks were three, that's a pretty easy 15 uh, value turn cycle. If instead of having a random zero for four, you have this flex. Instead, when you pitch your blue to uh, make your rune chant and Rosetta, and, and then Rosetta Thorn, instead you pitch two resources into flex, you get one extra point of value on that exchange, which while is not amazing, one extra point of value is pretty nice. And it also serving as a popper against Dromai and prism i guess but mostly against dromai is nice even though you do have to take pay the extra two resources into it it's pretty strong and the floor of a zero for four is definitely um definitely okay we see exude confidence sees a decent amount of play which is a zero for four with a decent amount of upside and scar being another zero for four with a lot of upside snatch being a zero for four with a lot of upside these cards are probably better than flex but you can you're already maxed out on scars and snatches and Actually, Yanji choosing to go with three flex and only two exude confidence. So th- valuing the the flexibility of flex being a popper uh, a little higher than exude confidence ability to turn off defense reactions. Um, the card that I thought you were going to mention was these three copies of Aether Slash. And I had to read this card when I saw it. It says when Aether Slash attacks, if a non-attack action card was pitched to play it, it deal one arcane damage to any target. So I think this is just a concession to Ashwings where you pitch a non-attack to attack for four and then you can ping an Ashwing for one. Sure. But yeah. Um, I don't, not- I don't disagree. Or if you really want the embodiment token, it kind of, it's a one card that has that split damage effect where if your opponent wants to completely stop the embodiment token, they have to absorb the arcane damage as well as the physical damage. So it's two awkward breakpoints in one card. Uh, mm-hmm. So it might as well say when you attack with Aether Slash, create an embodiment or Earth token a lot of the time. Sure, sure, that's fair. Unless you're so, on... I, I don't think the card's outrageous. Like, there's a lot of Runeblade cards and they have a lot of really mopey situational arcane damage effects. As far as, like, the list of, like, effects that you could put in this slot, I think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Flex then, is just wild to me because, like, you have zero for four, block three, arcane damage spell or, or rune blade cards that you're not playing in flex's slot. There's the like one arcanic that crackle. when you fuse with it, it deals arcanic crackle. Um, oh, yeah. The and, then there, and then there's the fuse one, the, the lightning fuse one. It's a zero for four, block three. Uh, when you fuse it with lightning card, deal one arcane damage. That like, mm-hmm. I would value all those cards over over flex, but you know, I guess you know what do I know? <laughs> There are only three lightning cards in the list, just the three lightning surge. So it is kind of hard to turn on the that ping for one. That's fair. But so we were just talking about a zero for four good rate, you know, zero for four that also blocks for three. Not a bad rate. Yeah, that's fair. And then, of course, we see three of the new specialization, Anthem of Spring, just a pretty significant upgrade to Weave Earth, just strictly better. I guess you could play both if you wanted, but never... I don't think we'll ever see Weaver's without Max out Anthem of Spring again. And then... Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess if you're Earth-fusing a lot of attacks, Weaver's is plus one above Anthem of Spring, but for the most part, Anthem of Spring's just better. And then 
the last blue that is interesting is there's three blue captain's calls, which is a card that we saw a long time ago in Briar, but haven't seen recently. But it's it's still good. It's good. See three copies of it here. So solid blue. Yep. Anything else you want to talk about, Briar? Good deck. Solid deck. Do Briar things. Vroom room. Yeah, I I was surprised to see Briar do so well on Mr. I so poorly. I I honestly still think this right uh, is solid, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe so maybe Briar's better. I was playing test games against Matt on his Briar list, and I cast Warmonger's Diplomacy twice against him, and it had zero text both times, where he was just like, okay, whatever, dude. I was just attacking with these attacks anyways. Good, nice card that doesn't do anything, idiot. Um, whereas when you cast Warmonger's Diplomacy against Viscerai, he's like, oh, I don't really function at all anymore on a, on like the vast majority of his turn cycles. So if Warmonger's Diplomacy is kind of like the breakout card, um, then like it kind of makes sense why Briar would outperform Viscerai in that sense. And even in the match we reviewed, I like Raya cast three Warmonger's Diplomacy, but like I don't think they were the reason why she won that game by any stretch of the imagination. I think Yonji just kind of had awkward draws lined up in those time periods because, like, even on one of the Warmongers' uh, turns, he had the four non-attack action hand anyways, and then the next hand was just three non-attack actions with one attack. Like, regardless of Warmongers or not, like, those were just really function like, close to unfunctional, awkward hands that just would have given her a lot of space one way or another, so... Um, I just don't think it's as impactful against Briar as people might expect, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And Viscerai can really struggle into it where he's really looking to play a non-attack to both turn on his ability and turn on Rosetta Thorn. And he's on Spellbound Creepers instead of Snapdragon Scalers, so he also relies on non-attacks to get his extra action points. Yeah. And, like, so many of his effects, like, he's playing, like, the nine mobs usually and then sometimes even lead the charges to like he needs because his attacks just don't naturally have go again he has no ways to generate um the rune chance for effects like uh swarming gloom veil or uh shrill so yeah the warhorn is or warmongers is very good against viscerai um in particular so it kind of makes sense why he i think he was the second most uh, represented deck in the field overall but really struggled overall and i think that story will continue as long as warmongers is around which i think is going to be forever so yeah unless it gets banned or eroded don't think it'll get eroded or they give or they give him some cards that just naturally have go again or uh we could also see like hybrid cards that are like both they can be either attack or non-attacks i think you we might have talked about this at one point, but for now, Viscerai really going to struggle into Warmonger's Diplomacy. Amen. All right. Anything else before we wrap it up? I'm, I'm tapped out, buddy. I'm out of hot takes. I'm out of cold takes. I got no takes left. Yeah. So next weekend, we've got Battle Heart in Chicago. We're both skipping that one. And then the weekend after that, we'll have the first calling with the new set. And is it Birmingham? Birmingham. Nice. Excited to see what comes out of those as, and yeah. New formats are always sweet. For sure, for sure. Well, the next time you're battling in the new format, always remember, mind your manners. Thanks for watching.